to the Gridiron Show in association with Sports Travel Tours. It's the wildcard weekend. What an incredible weekend with all of, all the road teams winning. It's Will and Ollie here in the studio, and we're going to go through every single game. And in typical Gridiron fashion, we'll talk about the teams that lost. This is the Gridiron Show with the we're in association with Sports Travel Tours. Come on! Yes, it is Will and Ollie here in the uh, in the studio. Um, I kind of muffed that up because I'm not used to doing the opener, and that's because Will, are you actually going to do the the podcast? No. Come on, mate. What are you doing? F- off. Don't want to. You're an absolute. You know what you are. You're the NFC East. You're a disgrace. I don't care. Don't want to talk about football. Don't want to talk about anything. Why not? What's going on? Let me give you anatomy of my week and anatomy even of my weekend, Ollie Hunter. We start off with Saturday evening Chiefs Texans. Now, obviously, this result went in the direction I wanted it to go. The Chiefs won, they progressed, they beat the Texans, but I'm slightly annoyed at myself that I spent all of last week justifying why the Texans might win when I knew I was all in on the Chiefs and I really liked the Chiefs and then they went out and hammered them and I was just, I was irritated at myself that I'd even entertained the idea that a Brian Hoyer led Texans could win a playoff game. Then, Steelers Bengals and, you know, Marvin Lewis, Lovely bloke, Hugh Jackson. We got a chance to interview him last year. Lovely man. AJ Hawk, the Bengals organization as a whole. They're coming over to London. They're a great team, except for three human beings who go and absolutely ruin it for an entire fan base, an entire coaching staff, the rest of a roster. And at this point, I'm pretty angry, Ollie. Yeah, okay. Carry on. Then we get to Sunday night. The Seattle Seahawks continue their run of ridiculously fluky nonsense by managing to beat the Vikings thanks to the shortest shanked field goal which would tie or win a game in the playoffs for the last 15 years. And let's think back to the Lions game last year. Let's think back to the Packers game last year when they should have been hammered. And I know people will talk about the Malcolm Butler play, but don't forget that that came just two minutes after Jermaine Kearse caught the ball on the side of him and they kind of bounced and then they are... They, I know they're not a completely lucky team. I know they're hardworking, but just imagine that you are a fan of a terrible franchise and I know a lot of our listeners are that you're a fan of a team who are playing very badly and your biggest rivals are winning games like this which they really didn't deserve to win and then the Packers play the on Sunday night you come round we have a nice time I'm I'm kind of good with that finally I'm thinking a result has gone the way I want it to go I think it's a more entertaining game next weekend we get to watch the Packers Cardinals replay I think it'll be a much tighter game much like the Vikings Seahawks was I feel bad for the Vikings I feel bad for the Bengals but the weekend's ended on a high note and then I wake up this morning and David Bowie's f-ing died it's, a, it's just the worst weekend Ollie I don't like it and I don't want to do it okay a couple of things I am angry with you about uh, com- making me, uh, convincing me to do to go on with the Texans. <laughs> I, you deserve to be angry with y- me. Y- you're a disgrace. I'm a disgrace for for falling into line. Uh, the next thing I'm angry about it is the the Bengals. Fonte's perfect. I love that guy. I, I love him as a player. Absolutely, been absolutely brilliant. But the way the way he behaved. Um, if you look back at the the Big Ben sack. I think there, there is a little bit. He does drive Big Ben to the ground and does. Okay, it's, it's kind of unlucky that he falls on Big Ben's sh- on Big Ben's shoulder. Then, as Big Ben's being carted off, what do the Bengals fans do? Okay, they that chuck, wasn't that they w- chuck stuff at him. Yeah, that wasn't cool. But I, I just think the Bengals, after five, after four straight playoff losses in the first round of the last four years, 
to have someone like Vontaze Perfect who's played at such a great level this year to have I mean let's not forget we've got two running backs who have played at a ridiculous we've got the guy who led the league in rushing this year and the guy who has the most touchdowns in the NFL over the last two seasons between them managed to both have a fourth quarter fumble that cost their team the underdogs the game and that annoyed me yeah that's annoying then we move on to Seattle and the worst thing about them winning is the way <laughs> that they celebrated a shanked field goal and how all the fans are like, yeah, we went and did it in the tundra again. Get out of it. F*** off, Seahawks. <laughs> and uh, then... I'd like to apologise for all of the bad language at the beginning of this <laughs> podcast. Those beeps are irritating when you hear them. Listen, this is not the uh, Adam and Adam Buxton podcast. <laughs> and then, yes, it's great that, that Green Bay won. Uh, I had to endure a terrible performance by Aaron Rodgers at the beginning of the game, but fine. And then, yes, you wake up and to that horrendous, hor- horrendous, horrible news that someone that we all thought was immortal has passed away. So, yeah, just to very quickly cover off Bowie before we get back onto the football, I'd like, just as a personal, absolute, like properly massive Bowie fan, my dad uh, grew up going to see him live. Like he used to go and watch the Lou, when Lou Reed and Bowie would play together in the early days of Lou Reed's solo career. And he used to follow them around. The, and like, I grew up with Bowie. I actually had tickets to go and see Bowie live in 2004, I think it was, when he was due to headline T in the park. And he, that was when he had his heart issues, had to have heart surgery. Uh, they, he was replaced with the darkness of all bands. Uh, Muse were headlining the second stage. So we went to watch them. That's how long ago this was. Uh, and I always thought to myself, I'll get to see him live one day. I even thought to myself, new album. And this is the thing. Four days after releasing the best music he's produced for two decades is when he dies. And I understand that he's had cancer for 18 months and probably that album is so personal and so heartfelt because he wrote it and recorded it whilst he was ill and he knew it was almost going to be like his swan song. And that's, that's so sad and devastating in itself. But I, you know, from a personal perspective, never getting to see the guy live and, and, Growing up with his music, it was just like a gut punch this morning. It was horrible. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I, I don't think anyone really knew that he had cancer for no, the last no. 18 months. He's kept it secret, which is a, kind of a testament to the man. And then, I suppose, getting his album out, and I think, you know, I, that, he probably thought that, that was his job done. And look, you know, we'll end the podcast on a bit of Thin White Duke, and, and deservedly so. But we are here to talk about football, and I will talk about the football. I'm, I'm over. I needed to get that out of my system a little bit, Ollie. I needed to unleash on the world, and I just needed to let you know how frustrated I was after this weekend. So I feel better about it now. I'm ready to go. Uh, we've got some great tweets and stuff from our listeners. What we're going to do, uh, as we did with the playoffs last year, I think we might be our kind of format going forward because we've got two podcasts this week. Later in the week, we're obviously going to focus much more heavily on the teams that won because we'll be previewing their weekend games, seeing if any of the wildcard teams have a chance of going in and beating the teams with the seeds. Uh, but we'll talk about the games today and we'll get on to the Bengals stuff and all of that as well. But we're going to just have a little bit of a look forward and see uh, which of the franchises who are now no longer in the playoffs have the best chance of succeeding next season. OK, I think that's a good idea. I like I like that thinking uh, before we get started in all of that bit of uh, furniture at Gridiron on Twitter, Gridiron hyphen magazine on the www's uh is there anything else we are here sports travel tours we'll do that again why not but chiefs 30 texans not well I, again I, I'm, I hold on hold on Holly. you're getting over excited i know i was getting too excited there's, Sorry. there's loads of news to get to so should we do the news first Let's and then the go news. on to the games from the weekend what uh later That's in happened? the week that, ha- that wasn't like Friday. Okay, sorry. 
<laughs> Amazing. Uh, if you um, uh, if you are a regular follower of the podcast, you'll know Simon Clancy, who writes for Gridiron, is a regular guest, although less so during the season because uh, he's got quite an important, quite high paid job, so he has to go and do real things. But uh, plus, he prefers college. Yeah. Plus, he doesn't like speaking to us. But later this week, we're going to be doing a show with everyone. Plus, we're going to be getting guests on. It's going to be a whole big round robin of guests. But this tonight was going to be it's just about us, Ollie, me, you. And then all of the listeners at home who have sent us a lot of tweets, and most of them saying that they think that the Vikings and the Bengals are the best place teams to, to succeed next year. So you can tweet us at Gridiron on Twitter. You can always uh, get us on the website as well, gridiron-magazine.com. We put a lot of content up there. And, of course, we have to chill for our Super Bowl party. The VIP packages are nearly entirely sold out. Wow. We've sold uh, well over 25% of the regular tickets as well. Mm-hmm. There's a few group bowling tickets left. That's where you get six tickets plus half price bowling all in one deal so you can still go online and get that if you want to buy tickets it's at bloomsbury lanes near euston station it's going to be a fantastic night there'll be an ex-nfl player we're just awaiting on confirmation from the nfl of who that's going to be but we should know in the next week or so and it's it's going to be brilliant so gridiron-magazine.com forward slash super bowl 50 at super bowl 50 super bowl 50 you can find your ticket information there more information you can drop us an email there which i will make sure i reply to and all of that good stuff yep four big screens at least uh, you've got little screens well, it's, around it's the, it. It's the three giant screens. Three giant screens, and then there's another, a, a little one. Then there's a lot of other HD screens about all up one and a, about the place. There's one above uh, the pool table or the football table as well. Okay. Yeah, that, yeah. I didn't know that was yeah, there. Yeah, there's another one there. <laughs> Good. And then... Um, yeah, it, it's a great place to go because you've got the bowling. It's all American-themed. Uh, the, there's really nice food. Yeah can't wait for that uh so the reason i was mentioning clancy and then i kind of got off on a little other bent is uh bent yeah a little bent yeah that's what i said okay what's your problem no nope, carry on is that adam gase has been named as the new head coach of the miami dolphins uh so um here's here's how it broke down with gase of miami as written to us by simon clancy uh he has two dolphin sources obviously chats a lot to guys there um, uh, also gets kind of occasional stuff from everyone. So he knows quite a bit amount. Miami had 25 coaches on a long list. They got it down to 10 and then down to 7 when Hugh Jackson told teams he was going to the 49ers and when McDaniel, McDaniels announced he was out. There's been developments with Hugh Jackson, but certainly that's what he said. They cancelled on Matt Patricia before hiring Adam Gase. He met with Miami on Thursday for six hours. Stephen Ross was a fan. Tannenbaum liked Marone. Greer liked Hugh, but nobody had a home run fave. Gase then went straight to the Nick Saban memorial bubble through the weight room and into the conference room where they did the interview greer ross tannables tom garfinkler mark higgins all there sorry was simon there uh, it, he may as well have been <laughs> this is all brilliant this is him. amazing they did an initial presentation in the conference and then greer ross gase and tanny adjourned to another office through the meeting greer asked for a roster and solar salary mock-up and projection for 2016 a free agent list along with the front office free agent strategy a preliminary really draft report game film of miami v giants J- jaguars philadelphia and the game at Denver last season where they led by 10 going into the fourth and lost the game. They conference called with a number of coaches and players from his roster, including defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo. Uh, I managed to get that out, I think. Apparently standard procedure for these candidates to ask questions of coaches employed that season. They got people on Skype from home, all very business-like, lots of football, and they were ridiculously impressed with everything Adam Gase had to say. He is now the new head coach there and apparently is going to have control over the 53-man roster as well as calling plays. 
Now, from what I understand... Sorry, what does that mean? Now, so, from what I understand is that that doesn't mean he's going to be looking, picking up the free agents, sorting out the contracts, doing that stuff the GM does. But, in terms of who's active, inactive on game day, who's lifted up off the practice squad, who's dropped back down, quite often that's a GM's role. He is going to be in charge of all of that as well. And it's fantastic news for Ryan Tannehill, because Tannehill is a guy who... Uh, obviously, Mike Tannenbaum is tied very deeply to him after that big contract last May, $95 million. And Tannehill has had, uh, I think, four or five different offensive coordinators in as many years. He has taken, uh, for me, a big step back this last year. Clancy won't say that, but I will. I think he's taken a big step back in this last year. He's regressed as both a passer and as a decision maker. But Gase is a guy who has proven that he can work well with uh, with quarterbacks. The talent isn't quite the same with Tanner. I look at the other guys around, you look at Bortles, you look at Carr, even Cousins, who's made that stride in a big way this season. He hasn't got up to that point, but I think Adam Gase seems to me like the right guy to do the job with Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, I mean, he's going he's he's to be doing the offensive play calling, as he, as he said, and I think that's the right thing. I suppose Hyon is uh, on his um, next list of priorities is who to get as a defensive coach. Uh, it's being sort of touted around that uh, defensive back coach for the Bengals, Vance Joseph, uh, is high on his hit list. Now, that could be quite good because the way that some of those uh, looks uh, or not that, that those uh, defensive backs give um, in in Cincinnati is kind of interesting. So I, I love the two deep yeah. safety system they play there. The quarters fields with the playing the cover four. I really like the system they play a defensive back there. And we'll talk about Bengals defensive backs. But they bring him in and they look and they're looking for some defensive backs. There's a few free agents coming out of Cincinnati this year. Yeah. Uh, so we'll get onto that in a little while as well. Uh, apparently, Doel Loggins. You can say who now. Who? Is going to be the best new offensive coordinator. Jay Cutler, uh, yet again, more change for him there. Loggins, experience of working with NFL passers. He was in Tennessee before uh, took over as the coordinator from 2012 to 13. He was also uh, milked a strong half a season out of Brian Hoyer in Cleveland. You know, he's not the biggest name in the world, but... Yeah, I'm wondering why you're telling me this. No, well, it's because it's a big, it's a bit of news from the NFL this week. Okay, fair enough. Uh, there's some uh, information floating around regarding Kirk Cousins' contract. I think we should get onto that in a little while when we te- speak to um, when, when we speak about how Washington are going to go going forwards. Now, this was a hell of a bit of news to come out of the NFL uh, this week, and that is the fact that the man <laughs> has only gone and signed up. His brother, Rob Ryan. (laughs) Incredible. Nepotism at its best. Joining a Bills defense that finished 31st in sacks and 29th in Football Outsiders weighted metrics in Rex's debut season. It was an aberration that that defense went from what it was the season before under Jim Schwartz to what it was under Rex Ryan. Honestly, based on how good their offense was, it cost them a playoff place. I have Mm. no doubt about that whatsoever. So who have they brought in to fix it? The guy who absolutely made that Saints defense look like the worst defense in the NFL of the last 10 years. Wow. I mean, that's crazy. It's a mess. That's Yells crazy. Buffalo. Rex Ryan made a really good defense. Into, they weren't a bad defense, but an average defense. And now he's brought in his brother 
Uh, they can only go. They can only get worse. And they're, they're going to lose Mario Williams in this offseason. Okay, as, as a scheme fit thing and as a money thing, that might make sense. But still, that's a huge chunk of talent to lose off that defense. And then the Bills went out and signed Doug Whaley to a multi-year extension. So they're locked in on what they've got there now. Uh, they believe that they're going to uh, go forwards with this team and be successful. I am intrigued to see what the Ryan era will bring in Buffalo. Cool, yeah. The double Ryan. Yeah, wow. Just Ryan. <laughs> I quite like that. Good. Uh, I like that. Uh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a coaching trackerism. Uh, we know that um, we know that Hugh Jackson did say he was joining the 49ers, and a lot of people expected that to be announced as soon as now. They went and interviewed him on Sunday after the game on Saturday night. He is also speaking with the New York Giants, and the former Giants head coach, Tom Coughlin, is speaking with the 49ers. Having spoken to the Eagles on Monday, Justin Tuck came out about him speaking to the uh, Eagles and was literally just like, No, Tom! Don't do it! Uh, well, well, remember when we spoke to O.C.? Yeah. And he said, I don't, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he doesn't like the Eagles. Yeah, let's they, just they, say. I think that's fair to say. Um, so I'm not sure whether that would be uh, Tom's place to go there, but you never know. I mean, he's not he's out of a job, and if he wants to stay in the NFL, and by all accounts he does, if, if, the, if someone gives him a job and the only team that does it is the Eagles, he'll go there. But... He's talking with the 49ers as well. I still I still had some belief. Obviously, there's plenty of open jobs still out there. The Bucks, the Giants, the Browns, the 49ers, the Eagles, and the Titans jobs all still open. Plus, Jim Caldwell, we're hearing, um, is still not definitely going to be staying in Indianapolis. That's been said over the last... The New Lions GM hasn't made a call on his status quite yet, uh, Bob Quinn. So that's still something to follow as well. Um the fact is is that I, I fancied him maybe in Miami, but I think they've made the right sort of hire with Adam Gase. I fancy him more somewhere like Cleveland. I think for uh, San Francisco isn't a place, now that they've kind of cut a lot of the uh, issue players adrift, it's not necessarily a place where there are character issues is the problem. It's a, de- it's a lack of talent, a lack of depth. And I would much rather they brought in a young head coach, someone a bit upcoming, someone who can work with the team and rebuild and understand it's not necessarily going to be next year. It might be a two, three-year project. Mm. That's much more what I would like to see. But admittedly, Tom Coughlin isn't a hire you're going to be completely bulking at if you're a fan it just doesn't quite feel right to me. I mean, he's me. got those rings, but he is 69 years old. So in a, in, in a club which needs to rebuild, as you said, you don't want someone old. I don't, I don't think, but you never know. That's fair. That's fair. A few things looking forward to next weekend's games. Julian Edelman is due to play against the Chiefs, as per reports, as is Dante Hightower and Tom Brady. Tom Brady has that high ankle sprain. Dante Hightower, the MCL sprain. Uh, Chandler Jones with his toe and, and Sebastian Volmer also present on Monday and could play this weekend, depending on their fitness issues. And yeah, we'll talk about it more in the show later in the week, but as I've said time and time again, don't rely on those players coming back and being 100%. You know, it would not be a shock at all if Edelman comes back mm-hmm. after the kind of injuries had and he's not been training regularly and he's not been doing, you know, he's, he's not been keeping up his fitness levels because he can't with his broken foot. And those are the situations when a guy comes in and they do a hammy, they do a quad. They, you know, those, uh, those little niggling light muscle injuries are so regular yeah. in guys coming back off long-term injuries. So that's just something to watch out for with those ones. Similarly, a couple of other injury new, other bits of injury news for this weekend. Panthers are getting healthy just in time. Jonathan Stewart is out and practicing uh, tomorrow from what we understand. That's great news. Uh, which is excellent news for them. Uh, also for the defense, DeMarcus Ware has returned 
return to on-the-field work for the Broncos after sitting out practice and resting the knee he injured in Week 17. So he's back and he's going, and we'll keep an eye on all those ahead of the show later in the week. We're nearly through the news, I promise, Ollie. I, I did, uh, you know, it's fine, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed this about. news. Uh, <laughs> I've enjoyed the news section. Finally, there's a few th- more things. Uh, first of all, Jason Hatcher is contemplating retirement. The Washington defensive end told reporters he was comp- contemplating retirement so far as to broach the subject with Scott McLuhan after Sunday's 35-18 to 18 wild card loss to the Packers. Um, uh, he's, he's a guy getting up in age, but he's undoubtedly a guy who's had a huge amount of talent over his career and would be a loss for that team. Maybe it's another thing to consider when we talk about which teams are going to be good going forward. And finally, Jim Irsay is confident the Colts will re-sign Andrew Luck. I mean, the fact of the matter is, you get, you've got the option on him for next year. You're going to franchise tag him after that if you don't sign him. But he believes in this offseason they will be able to, uh, you will be able to re-sign them. And then he had a dig at the offensive line. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I mean, it was the pride of the building. I can tell you the way those offensive linemen carried pride, we have to get back to that. Talking about the offensive line when it was, uh, when Howard Mudd was there, when it was Jeff Saturday and Tarek Glenn. Howard and, Mudd. Uh, and the, yep, that's the one. <laughs> and the mantra was, no one touches uh, 18. His jersey doesn't get a spot of dirt on it. So going back to the Manning days, Colt ba- uh, basically Ursay said that he was really proud of the team they had then. Isn't so much now. Yeah. Uh, and utterly understandable but hey uh, it's not like you've uh, kept the same coach and uh, hired someone that you don't think is going to that many people don't think is going to revolutionize revolutionize that uh, offense no not at all no not at all Uh, should we get on and actually talk about the weekend games then ollie there were games i've forgotten (laughs) oh now that feels like a dig at me ollie oh i'm sorry that was so mean unbelievable i'm a i'm a a bad person let's start off on saturday evening and the Kansas City Chiefs took just 11 seconds to put this one to bed. It took you 11 takes to say that. (laughs) (laughs) It was a really hard sentence. (laughs) Niall Davis had a 106-yard kickoff return, and the Chiefs' defence forced not one, not two, not three, not four, but five turnovers to cruise to their first playoff win since 1994 with a 30-to-zip wildcard victory over the Houston Texans. Uh, on the opening kickoff, Davis got three good blocks around the 10-yard line and then simply outran the rest of the defense for the second longest kickoff return touchdown in post-season history. The defense took over after that, harassing Brian Hoyer into a fumble and then three of his career-high four interceptions before halftime. The Chiefs took a 13 to nothing lead. And in fact, at halftime, the one thing I was saying about the Chiefs is that Actually, their offense isn't looking too impressive right now because they've turned the ball over four times and only got 13 points off them. That didn't matter. Second half, Alex Smith threw a touchdown pass and Spencer Ware added a five-yard run in the fourth quarter. Plus that final field goal, 30 to nothing. Hoyer was booed all afternoon by the home fans. He went 15 for 34 with 136 yards, four interceptions plus a fumble. You know what his QBR was? Go on. 15.8. I'm amazed it was above zero. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Uh, so, Chief, what, how did you see this game? Is this, are the Chiefs now a team that people are going to take truly seriously? Or was this another win for a streaking team against a bad team? Firstly, that, that 106-yard uh, play um, from Niall Davis, it kind of set the tone for the rest of the day because... The blocking on it was absolutely horrendous, and that's how the the Texans played for the rest of the game. When it comes to the Chiefs, wow, um, their defense is so good, and I think 
they made Hoyer play like that. Hoyer is not that bad a quarterback normally, and they made him play like that. We talk about that first fumble, and, and it was a defensive line that dominated the Dwayne Brownless uh, Houston offensive line. We talked a lot about Dwayne Brown's role at left tackle and having a guy who is an, a pro bowler, potentially even an all-pro left tackle go down. Uh, Chris Clark... Uh, back, Chris Clark, who was in at left tackle uh, for that fumble, Alan Bailey just completely bull rushed Chris Clark into Brian Hoyer and forced the fumble. And it felt like the tone was set from that very first turnover, turnover that the Texans were never really going to get back into it. Um, I, you know, obviously that uh, opening return was absolutely brilliant, but the Chiefs just had to let Hoyer implode, basically. Uh, however, what's really, really big for this Chiefs team, however, is whilst their defense looked brilliant, and I thought that uh, Justin Houston came back and looked strong in his mm-hmm. first game back, their secondary is unbelievably good. Sean Smith just dominated DeAndre Hopkins on several separate occasions that I can remember through the game, and he's DeAndre guy- has been a top five wide receiver this year, and that's quite something to put him in your back pocket. And when you've got uh, you've got uh, the like of, likes of Marcus Peters, Eric Berry, Josh Muaga, the other guys that, that got the interceptions, they're all coming up with really big plays just at the right time. And I think what's going to be interesting is next weekend, and I know I said we weren't going to preview too much, but Sean Smith in Miami, a lot of the time was put on Rob Gronkowski. He was a corner who played the tight end in those situations against the Patriots and has a reasonably decent level of success. That could be key next weekend as they go into Foxborough. Sean Smith has knowledge of Rob mm. Gronkowski. If they then double team him with one of the safeties, maybe, maybe even uh, one of the, they've got such athletic linebackers. If you've got someone like that in your team, then those are the kind of things you can do. You, you mentioned we're not going to look forward too much, but one of the key plays, and it's a play where uh, J.J. Watt went down with a groin injury, but also Jeremy Macklin uh, with a high ankle sprain. Until he was taken, um, until that high ankle sprain was a diagnosis that was uh, had had come from a right knee tweak, and that's the issue that he's had before. Uh, I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if that was the issue, and the the ankle sprain uh, sort of came afterwards. But um, they're going to miss Jeremy Macklin, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, he has been such a huge improvement this season. Macklin is the difference between them taking the tops off defence and not. And, and do you know what? Alex Smith continued his run of fine form in the playoffs. I, I think that he has, ha- he has had a very, very good season and a lot of people are underrating what he does massively. And they always have done. He's always been seen as a game manager. But when you can game manage as well as he does, he actually threw a bad interception early on. Mm. Let's not forget that. He did have that. Well, that wasn't a good throw and considering how good the Texans defense have been at times it kind of set the tone that you thought actually maybe this is going to be back and forth maybe the Texans have a shot they didn't end up having a shot Alex Smith took over the game in the second half and looked really impressive but you look at Macklin's uh, he's gone over a thousand yards this season eight touchdowns the longest of his catches 61 yards uh, it, 49 first downs this season have come from Jeremy Macklin as well it's uh, only second to his last season at Philly in terms of career high uh, all in all Macklin has really been the difference in opening the field up for that offense and when you look at the secondary guys the likes of uh, Albert Wilson who are going to be relied on really heavily obviously Travis Kelsey who exploded once Macklin went out I mean he had eight receptions for 128 yards on Saturday so maybe he's the outlet that they're going to need to use against the Patriots next weekend but that could be a massive massive blow but all in all the Chiefs and, you know, when they're 1-5 and five, and they're coming to Wembley at 2-5, and five, their, their season, most people saw as done. I'm sure Chiefs fans will be absolutely delighted with how their season's gone. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- um, so I think Macklin, even if 
if he's fit enough to be able to lace up his boots and maybe even play as a decoy, as um, MJD has said uh, with Dave Damashik uh, earlier in the week, um, I think that that would be key. Chris Comley, as you said, you've got uh, Jason Avant as well. They're, they're, not, they're not big names. This they're is like big, that looks like a Panthers receiving call. Yeah, right exactly. Now. But with a game manager in Alex Smith who will be able to get them in short yardage situations and then use Travis Kelsey in those big plays, it could be really exciting. We'll, it, we'll, it will be really exciting We'll, we'll talk loads more about that when we come to next weekend's game. But as we said, we're going to go through and talk about the teams that lost this weekend. We asked on Twitter, who do you think are the best place teams to be successful next season from the losing wildcard teams? Houston Texans UK, funnily enough, tweeted us saying, hashtag Texans, because we are starting to have a Texas-sized chip on our shoulder. Whereas Chris tweeted us saying, the worst place team has to be the Texans. And this is exactly my feeling on this, but... At the end, we'll give our best place, worst place. He says they're the furthest away from a franchise QB. The other three are level, maybe since he's slightly ahead for me. And that's the thing with the Texans. Actually, Brian Hoyer had some pretty reasonable stats this season. 19 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, showed that he was a fine kind of option to maybe compete for the job next season, maybe even be a really high-level backup. But... You saw that was the worst game of his life in the playoffs. There's no chance the Texans can find it acceptable to run with him in 2016. So they need to go out there and they need to draft another quarterback to develop. They certainly shouldn't rule investing out in a potentially a trade or the free agent market as well. I mean, we're going to talk about Kirk Cousins in a little while. He may end up being available. And just generally their offense, I mean, outside of DeAndre Hopkins, the Texans very, very thin at the skill positions. I, I, you can't rely that Arian Foster's going to come back next year and be explosive. They've got a great defense. They've got a great defensive front and they had a much improved defensive secondary. But if they want to be successful next season, even though they're in a bum division, they need to improve that offensive side of the ball. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think... Adding a quarterback is absolutely key. Hoyer is under is on five point two five million pounds. Oh, it should be back at uh, million pounds. I say pounds at uh, dollars. It should be back. That, that's a, for a starting quarterback. That's pretty amazing. That, yeah, exactly. How, how little money they're spending on him. So if they manage to pick up someone pretty decent in the first two, one, two, three rounds as quarterback, um, you know the Mike Holmgren Grom, uh, Holmgren philosophy in Green Bay was to add a quarterback in the draft every year until you find the right one and they came across uh <laughs> he came across Brett Favre you know uh, sorry not Brett Favre but you know he came across the, r- <laughs> the right people so uh, I think that's the way that they need to do they need to look at that um I think actually a, a running back might come in free agency perhaps someone like Matt Forte there's, there's definitely options out there, much better yeah. than, I mean, the free agent quarterback market beyond Ryan Fitzpatrick and Kirk Cousins is pretty thin. Uh, whereas actually, as you say, uh, running back, there are a few guys out there, certainly. Um, I, interestingly, compared with any of the other teams here, I'm, we're going to probably talk a bit about coaching with all of these teams and, and what they can do. But actually, they fired three coordinators, uh, three assistants overnight and a bit of a reshuffle. But I think Romeo Cannell probably keeps his job on the defense has been good. George Godsey has done a good job with a bad offence, and if they can put together a better offence for him to work with, I think there is potential there. And obviously, we love what Bill O'Brien's managed to do this year. It's been very impressive. So uh, It was just a game too far, wasn't it? 
I think it was just a game too far for them, and I think it's they've come out of a terrible AFC South. It's going to be hopefully a more competitive AFC South next season. We believe the Jags, if they can improve on defense, will have some uh, potential. Uh, we need to see who the Titans' head coach is going to be, but the Colts should be much better than they were this year, in theory, considering the talent they've got there. And, you know, to an extent, because they've brought the same people back, there won't be a period of change. Whether we agree with the idea they brought yeah. those people back yeah. is, is another thing entirely. But certainly the Texans are in... Um, it, for me, it's all about the quarterback. What they do at quarterback in this offseason is going to be massive. Yeah, huge. Let's go to Saturday, Saturday night as the Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> are headed to Denver. The Cincinnati Bengals have lost their fifth consecutive wildcard playoff game. Marvin Lewis is 6-0, and is he, or 7-0? Seven 7-0. And seven and and Marvin Lewis is the worst playoff head coach in NFL history. Chris Boswell he kicked... should go. <laughs> Chris Boswell kicked a 35-yard field goal with 14 seconds remaining as the Steelers somehow pulled out an 18-16 victory in the wildcard game. A Pittsburgh moved into field position after a pair of terrible penalties on the Bengals, one on Vontaze Perfect for a disgusting hit on Antonio Brown. And yes... Big fan of Vontaze Perfect as a player, but it was a defenseless hit, a clearly bad hit. And then another on Adam Jones. Uh, Boswell drilled his fourth field goal of the game, gave the Steelers their first playoff win since the 2010 AFC Championship game. But as we mentioned at the top, as much blame on this game has got to go down to Jeremy Hill fumbling the ball, much like Adrian Peterson in the Vikings game coming up, as it does to those two penalties. Because the fact of the matter is... He's made six of the ten yards on that play. If he just protects the ball, goes to ground, doesn't keep fighting for yards, understands the situation, as he should do, as he should be coached to do, then they would never have lost the ball. They would have eked it down to just a few seconds left on the clock, and we wouldn't have even been in the situation to have those penalties given away. Admittedly, I am angry at those players for the penalties. I've said that already at the top, and I'll state it again. Their behaviour was ludicrous. I have some sympathy with the fact that A, Ryan Shazir had a, a head-to-head hit earlier in the game where he lowered the crown and they should have had a flag for that. Okay, let's address yeah, that now. Leading with the helmet. And yeah. It was it was dangerous, dangerous play. Yeah. And I, I don't think Ryan Shazir is a dirty player based on what I've seen from him this season. But all in all, I'd like absolutely that should have been flagged. Let's get that, tick that box now so Bengals fans don't get annoyed at us. And then we need to kind of also talk about the behaviour of um, the behaviour of the coaching staff from the Steelers. We know this game is going to be a little bit picky, a little bit uh, to and fro. There's spiky. always going to be... Spiky is a very good word for it. Mike Monchak, uh, who Reggie Nelson ran into, and then he pulled Reggie Nelson's uh, uh, dreadlocks and his hand, and there was a little kerfuffle on the sidelines. And that was kind of interesting. That guy should have no place in touching any other um, opposition player uh, in that way. You know, uh, Reggie Nelson did run into him, but, it, you know, you run into opposition uh, you, you run into opposition players, coaches, um, members of staff all the time in American football. That's, that's because they all stand on the sidelines. But the, the way he acted, that was bang out of order. But you also, I, I have to say, I, the only point I do have some uh, sympathy with, and it's not with the Burford hit or anything like that, Joey Porter? Joey Porter being on the field for the Steelers. Why is he there in the first place? And why are you getting flagged for basically... I mean, he's gone in there and he's had a word with him. And we don't know what he said. And it may have been something properly horrendous. But he... Obviously, Joey Porter shouldn't be there. And actually, if Joey Porter gets flagged 
when he's on the field, and he's on the field very early in that point as well. If he gets flagged before everything else is ruled dead and it all goes down, there's a chance that you end up with a situation where actually that flag either offsets the original penalty or moves the ball back before you even get mm. Pac-Man Jones getting in his face and moves it forward another 15 yards, making it more difficult again for the Steelers to win the game. Because after just the Burphy penalty, they were still out of field goal range. If you flag Joey Porter like he should have been flagged for being on the field, then there's no way that all that happens. But, okay, aside from that, and you just can't then respond, particularly if you're Pac-Man Jones, you cannot respond in the way he responded, and particularly as a guy who's been in the league a long time, he's a veteran player, and this, I mean, listen to the Instagram videos he put out later this day. The first one, I've just cut these two together, these were about 15 minutes apart. The first one is his initial reaction when he gets on the team bus afterwards, and the second one is his reaction 15 minutes later when he deletes the original tweet after getting a text from Dion Sanders telling him to delete the original <laughs> tweet. <laughs> Riff did a horrible job you got up uh jerry porter in the middle of the field talking to everybody and then when somebody say something to him he don't even supposed to be on the field all right i'm good now i've had my 10 minutes <laughs> um but i still don't believe i should have got a flag for talking to a coach that's on the field behind the huddle that's my opinion very quickly for those that don't know joey porter went on when antonio brown was hit um he's an offensive line but he's an OLB uh, coach for the Steelers. Apparently was there to check on Antonio Brown, who it was confirmed by Tomlin afterwards, was knocked out. He had a concussion. He went through the protocol. But he shouldn't be there. But then Pac-Man Jones should be doing what he's doing. And that's in- that's incredible audio. Because, you know, he's he's lost it, but then he's backtracked. And I think the backtrack will save him from any uh, NFL uh, repercussions, I hope. But... Not cool. Joey Porter was uh, a pro bowler. He was a linebacker with the Steelers. He won a Super Bowl with them. You know why he has the passion, particularly involved in a game like this. Against divisional rivals yeah, as well. absolutely. But his behaviour was absolutely embarrassing in itself and my point just being that yes we're going to lump on the Bengals and yes I'm not forgiving anything the Bengals did but the Steelers played a part in this as well and what was a fascinating ending to the game you know they're 15-0 down going into the fourth quarter the Bengals bring it back in AJ McCarron who at that point has had a tough tough game I don't think he's necessarily played terribly he's not like Brian Hoyer level of play but he has struggled against the Steelers he suddenly comes back into it they get two really pretty very good looking drives going they take a lead it looks like they're going to win the game and then they implode in that way and jeremy hill uh, admittedly it was just the fumble but jeremy hill vontes perfect and uh, and um Batman. Batman jones are all people who are known for having previous character issues whether it was in college whether it's at previous teams and it just shows how important character is and actually to an extent it shows how important coaching is because i think we're already getting on to this let's let's not pick over the game anymore we'll talk about the steelers in more depth going on but for the bengals there is an argument for marvin lewis nice guy lovely 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 man right Everything that came out after the game was that he never really had control of those players the whole season. If he tried to control them when they went out of control like that, Mm. there is a strong chance that they would not really have paid attention to him. Now, Paul Gunther, you've got the defensive coordinator. You've got to say that's partially his job as well. But Marvin Lewis, it looks like he's going to be sticking around in Cincinnati. And yes, okay, you argue that the fact that they lost... uh, 
the the loss of Andy Dalton and the the way that they lost that game, there's an argument for the fact that Marvin Lewis should still be around. But they're letting Hugh Jackson probably walk and go to head coach another team. And I think there's an argument for desperately calling Hugh Jackson up and giving him Marvin Lewis's job. He's, he's yeah. coached that offense brilliantly this year. Why not give him the reins of the team? Then, there are the... No, no, first of all, people... Bengals love. Let's just give some Bengals love off well, Twitter. Off the back of Bengals love, I've got some Bengals worriness. Yeah, so Bengals love on Twitter. Tony... Bengals, if they can fix up the discipline. Chris, Bengals, if they get shot of Lewis. Dutton, Bengals for me. They'll be well-placed to fail once again in the postseason next year. Will, Bengals, Dalton, look to have turned the corner and since he had the making of an AFC Championship contender before his injury. Allen, Bengals easily, despite the moment of madness. They still have a fantastic roster. And that's the point I think you're going to make. Dave says the Bengals, and Mike says the Bengals to bounce back next year as they have arguably the most talented roster in the NFL. Then they're always one and out in the playoffs and probably will be again next season. So the Bengals love, and we agree with you. Like, they've got the best receiving core. They've got the, probably, actually, of the four teams that have gone out, they've probably got the best pair of running backs. I know if you're a fancy owner, you found them frustrating, but they've been managing to win games for the Bengals between them. Complement each other very well. Yeah, you've got Dalton, who's been doing a great job there. You've got wide receivers in um, Marvin Jones, AJ Green. That looks all very sexy. You've got... Everything that they've got going on in defense as well. However, a lot of these guys will be hitting free agency. I'll read you out. Leon Hall, Andre Smith, Reggie Nelson, Vincent Ray, Adam Pacman Jones, Emmanuel Lamour, Wallace Gilbury, and George Iloka. Aside from Andre Smith, sorry, who's a right tackle, all of those guys are on defense. So these, these are the guys that I've got here in my list here. Reggie Nelson and George Aloka, both safeties gone. Corners Leon Hole and Pacman Jones, potentially both gone. Right tackle Andre Smith, as you mentioned. Mohamed Sanu and Marvin Jones, both also free agents on the offensive side of the I ball. I think they'll keep Jones over Sanu, but one, I expect one of those guys to go. Vinny Ray, who filled in brilliantly this season when Vontaze Burfitt was out and made a killer play in this game when it looked like the Steelers might be putting mm -hmm. the Bengals out of reach. And you mentioned Emmanuel Lamour as well. Just looking at those starters, and there are a number of notable role players as well, that's 7,000 snaps from this season that they may need to replace if they lose all those free agents. Now, we know that there's going to... Well, we don't know. There's likely to be an increased salary cap this year. So there's that as well, which might allow them to bring some of those guys back in. But that secondary is going to need an entire overhaul. Uh, well, if you look at the ages, Hall is 31, Nelson is 32, Patman Jones is 32, Gilbury's 31. You know, these guys are not going to... To keep them on, this, on the team... We're talking millions and millions of dollars for the amount to keep them even on the team. And at that age, I can't see Cincinnati, and especially with some of the issues that two or three of those guys have had in this particular game, I can't see them staying at Cincinnati. The guys who I think they should try and keep hold of, Reggie Nelson in particular, who's been excellent at safety this season, and Marvin Jones, who's a brilliant compliment to AJ Green, and almost has that look of him as a guy who could step up to being a number one elsewhere if given the opportunity. Alshon Jeffrey in recent years, Ala DeAndre Hopkins yep. before DeAndre. I'm not sure he's quite that level of talent where he's a 
top five guy, but he looks like someone who could be a number one receiver somewhere where they're very talent poor at receiver, like, I don't know, uh, Carolina, although they're going to get Kelvin Benjamin back, but that's Cleveland, just the example. Something like that. Yeah, that's this is the example that jumped off my head. They also have the second hardest strength of schedule next season. Thanks to Paddy Cooper, who sent us the strength of schedule in. They're the second hardest of any team next season. I mean, playing the AFC North can do that to you. But whilst the Bengals, yes, from a talent perspective, are probably the best position to these four teams, that is a tough off-season they're going to be facing. Massively tough. And, and honestly, one thing we're not mentioning in all of this, they keep Marvin Lewis, they've also got to find themselves a new offensive coordinator, because there's no way that Hugh Jackson doesn't take one of those jobs. Yeah, exactly. Adding to the fact that they'll be uh, drafting in you know, the, the last almost the last quarter, I think they'll be drafting la- ninth. Ninth last, so I don't know the order. I think it's I think I think it's that. (laughs) I think it's that because there's eight teams left, uh, and they would have the best record out of all of the rest of the teams that had had gone out. So I think they're drafting that far down as well. I don't see it. I don't see as much optimism, despite what's currently on their roster. I don't see as much optimism as some of those guys that have got in touch at Gridiron with us. There were a couple of other frustrating moments for me as well in this game, and there's just one other thing I noted down that I wanted to... uh that I wanted to highlight was the Steelers who had a fourth of the three on their own 30-41-yard line with 28 seconds remaining. The Bengals needed just one defensive play to win the game. And they'd been rushing Ben and causing him problems all day. And they just bought three linemen. Antonio Brown beat Leon Hall. And that's the play before the play that ended up winning them the game with all the penalties. Do you know what that is? Though? That's if that you stop prevent them on fourth defense and three, If you stop them on fourth and three, the game's done. It's that prevent defense that we saw go horribly wrong for Green Bay last year against Seattle. I don't know why NFL coaches and NFL teams continue to do this. It's like in football when you know, you've got five minutes left or two minutes left, you're 1-0 up, 2-1 up, whatever, and everybody automatically goes behind the ball. And that's what happens But in uh, in American football. It's a, it's something that's been passed down. It's not like a natural thing. Friend it's of the crazy. show, Jerry Glanville, and the creator of the Grits Blitz defense, would kill them for that. Remember the interview we had with him earlier this year where he just said, you've got to rush the passer every single time. Well, that's how we feel about it a little bit as well right. uh, uh, Martavis Bryan oh, uh, wonderful catch great catch do you see that catch I, oh yeah for the touchdown yeah. yes that was a great yeah. catch I, I think people need to calm down a little bit there's that catch and there was another catch in this game when people are comparing it to the Odell Beckham catch oh, in nothing's terms of quality nothing's going to ever be better than that but, catch. but actually I think uh, first of all the, the that catch was phenomenal but it had an element of luck to it as well, well I, I think you can only do what you can do with it and he did brilliantly with what he could do with it but you have to get the run of the green with that one. And uh, when we're talking about the catch in the Viking Seahawks game, which we'll get onto next, the Doug Baldwin one, that's a phenomenal catch. That's a top five catch this season, top ten catch this season. We're not arguing that. But the difference with Odell Beckham, which everyone wanted to compare it to, was that was behind him. He had to arch his back. If you look at his body position at the moment Odell Beckham catches that ball behind him, that's like a, a position that I bet 95% of NFL players couldn't even put their body in mm. whilst they're moving at pace, under pressure, trying to catch the ball, let alone then hold the ball, bring it in, stay in bounds, mental. For a touchdown, timing, all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think uh, it, we'll, we'll never see anything better than Beckham, but Baldwin's catch was great. Yeah, okay. And on to that game. The Seattle Seahawks and Blair Walsh. Bless him, Blair Walsh. His 27-yard field goal trying to the frigid wind for Minnesota. Hook left with 22 seconds remaining, and the Seahawks got a 10-9 victory over the stunned Vikings in their wildcard round playoff game in what was the third coldest game 
in NFL history. The Seahawks didn't score until Russell Wilson's short touchdown to Doug Baldwin early in the fourth quarter. And a fumble by Adrian Peterson, old big spot fumbler Peterson for the Vikings. He had three in his first season in the playoffs. He had a big fumble last year, which could have cost, uh, not last year, they, 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 they made the playoffs last year, two years ago when they last made the playoffs. And he fumbled it which immediately led to the Stephen Hauschka field goal on that play, when, again, much like Jeremy Hill, you've just got to protect the ball in that situation. Unbelievable. The Vikings took the ball back with 142 left at their 39, aided by a pass interference play on Cam Chancellor, which was very ticky-tacky, drove deep into Seattle's territory, drained the clock, seemed inevitable for a win, and Blair Walsh, who had nailed two field goals from over 45 yards in the game already. And I don't know, you've, I mean, you've played football in what is freezing temperatures here in the UK when it hits like zero Celsius. So we're still talking 30 degrees Celsius higher than it was with wind chill on Saturday, on Sunday. If you kick a football in that environment, it's like a rock. Yeah, it's horrible. Imagine trying to kick a 45-yard field goal. It'd be like kicking a, an actual brick off the tee. So he's nailed a couple from distance already in this game, and then he misses that one, and it's just devastating. Well, Math- Absolutely devastating. Matthew Berry said uh, on, on the Fantasy Focus podcast that, yeah, there was the sun had come out at, in that part of the stadium, and, yes, he normally likes it from the right-hand hash. That's where he takes his, his extra points. He was on the left-hand hash this time. But after the game, Blair Walsh, he sat down in the locker room. Ev- all of the reporters came to him. He didn't shirk anything, and he said, everybody else did their job. I didn't do mine. And uh, I really feel for the guy. We met him when, he came, when the Vikings came over. Lovely chap. I really feel even though it's the Vikings really feel for him yeah I've got a lot of love for Blair Walsh he's one of the good guys in the game and, and this isn't something that's happened to him but you said it I mean immediately on Twitter and obviously we'd launch him with the gag at this point if it wasn't so overdone on Twitter I mean I tweeted Finkel I think Sherry tweeted Laces Out Dan I think everyone went with the Ace Ventura jokes immediately Finkel is Einhorn Einhorn is Finkel we saw that the Laces were in when Jeff Locke held it we saw that the snap was slightly high which is probably why he put it down with the Laces in but Blair Walsh just completely refused to throw anyone else under the bus he said i didn't come through for us and that hurt he took all of the blame on his own shoulders and fair play to him for that it's going to be a really i mean not just a tough off season probably a tough life for him going forwards now because it's one of those plays and that's why i never envy kickers or punters in the nfl because it's a one play that when you fluffed it you could have fluffed it for good they will remember that for years to come. Um, the kick shouldn't distract us from what was a great Seahawks comeback. And I, I, we will talk again about the Seahawks later in the week in more depth and what we think of them going into Carolina. But the love for Wilson that we've got to give on that recovery play. And there was some, oh. there was some questions. The, the completion to Tyler Lockett, it was a bad fun. You almost think that once or twice a game, they need to f*** up. Like, actually, the Seahawks, it seems to be, it's happened to them on a number of occasions, and it's why I've made the joke about them being so streaky at the beginning of the show, but it seems every year they have these, uh, they have these plays where they do make a big mistake, and Russell Wilson turns it into something massive, and they did it again today, it was a, a, a bad snap, went over his head, he ran back, scooped up the ball, sliding down, turned around, found Tyler Lockett for well, a big rolling out, yardage. To, rolling out to the right to avoid the pressure... And then across his body, 
a, a, a shot down the field, centre field. Tyler Lockett catches it and then gets a, you know another an extra twenty yards. It was a fantastic play. It, it should have been a twenty yard loss. It ends up being a thirty five yard game. It leads to the touchdown. Obviously, it get that gets them well back into the game. It, very reminiscent of the NFC Championship Championship game last season. Yeah, Wilson didn't have a good day, but I think in that freezing cold temperature, overall, you, you've got to kind of give him some love for what he did manage to do. He was late and short on a few deep throws that didn't do well. He overthrew a couple of guys as well. It was a horrible situation to be playing in, and he didn't have one of his key running backs, though I thought the guys that did step in did an okay job. He had probably his probably his worst playoff game I've ever seen Russell Wilson have, but when it's minus 30 degrees centigrade with a wind chill probably let him get away with that and they won i mean they won because <laughs> blair walsh missed a sitter but it in the record books that doesn't change anything you know they still won he won the game for uh you know for the seahawks so yeah wilson did did well it was it was uh, an attritional defense led game it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how they play next week going into the warmth but coming up against in the panthers one of the top defenses in the league last season let's talk vikings first of all let's talk vikings in this game before we get on to anything else because i think the defense showed up in a massive way they held the league's highest scoring offense down the stretch to just 10 points in 226 yards thought erison efferson griffin was brilliant i thought sharif floyd absolutely wrecked the internal of that line and and i'll put this out there now because we'll talk about it later this week but the matchup that i can't wait for in that panthers game is k1 short and starlu to at the middle of that panthers defensive front up against the interior of the seahawks line if they go and watch what sharif floyd did this weekend they're going to be licking their lips and knowing that they can get to russell wilson mm -hmm. because that that line is still an issue uh, eric kendricks was absolutely sensational trey waynes i think in the first round pick had his best game of the year uh, by some distance xavier Rhodes made big plays for them I don't think we can have anything negative to say about the defence going into this off-season. They should all be staying. It's mostly young. They're keeping them going into next year. I love that Everson Griffin uh, double spin move onto, <laughs> on, on the yeah. left tackle of the Seahawk guy and then uh, sacking Russell Wilson. Uh, they are really exciting on defence. Really exciting. But you know I've got a problem with Teddy Bridgewater. Go on. I just don't get it. I don't get it. So I think Teddy Bridgewater here had one of his best games without being allowed to have one of his best games. I got really frustrated with the Vikings because I actually think the Vikings were the better team on the day. And I actually, uh, certainly over three quarters, that's inarguable. But I actually think the Vikings had a chance to win this game long before the Seahawks came back. And I don't think that was Bridgewater's fault. Yeah, Peterson was averaging less than two yards a carry and North Turner just didn't trust Bridgewater enough despite a solid performance I think North Turner's play calling didn't see the situation didn't adjust to it and you know in the first time that they allowed Bridgewater to really throw the ball really try and try some different things get out of the pocket a bit make some different throws you know do something a little bit different was the final drive of the game where he had a really impressive drive to get them down for that that short field goal and yeah, yeah. i think they could have put it in his hands more i think they've done a good job in uh, in drafting stefan diggs i think they need to give him more weapons there because actually i don't think carl rudolph who we like very much as a person and the other receiving options there are enough for him and i actually think as well adrian peterson uh, yeah, but beyond the fumble, he's an older running back that can always cause issues. We, I've mentioned it already. He put it to the ground three times in the 2009 championship game. He does tend to lose the ball in big situations. When Jerick McKinnon actually came in on passing downs late on, he was very impressive. 
But this offseason has to be all about helping Bridgewater be a better player. And actually, if I am in charge in Minnesota, I'm seriously looking around at the young other offensive coordinators, young assistants who are around the league, particularly with a lot of people moving around. Think about what happened with Adam Gase, where he didn't go and get a job elsewhere last season, ended up being the Bears' offensive coordinator. Go out, look and see if there's a guy like that who's around the league, and it, maybe it's North Turner's time in Minnesota. Mm. Um, I, they definitely do need to uh, get a, an extra weapon on, on passing downs. Uh, I think there's an over-reliance for an ageing uh, running back as well. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. You're right with letting him off the leash in that final drive, and they did look much better. But I think that could be something. something. You know, you know, I have a problem with Bridgewater. I mean, there was a completion he made to the left hand side early in the game, and I don't even remember who the receiver was, so I apologise for that. But where he beat, there was two safeties. Chancellor was over, and I'm not sure. Who, it was. I think it was the corner on that side. Um, uh, I can't actually. I, you know, I should have looked the play back up, but he made the pass into quite a tight window to the left-hand touchline. The receiver caught it and went out of bounds. And it was a great, accurate throw in terms of when you've got two defenders there and you've got to put it into a certain window. It was a good throw. But actually, you go back and watch the mechanics of the throw. It's a very flat throw, and it doesn't have a huge amount of power on it. And his accuracy helped him, but he does. I think he needs to go into this offseason and work on his mechanics in a big, big way. I think he also needs to work on his decision-making. The three sacks that he did take he could have got the ball away far, far quicker than... And I think the offensive line's another area that the Minnesota yeah. Vikings can improve and may look to improve. They've drafted well there. They've, I think they've done a really good job of drafting, and I think they've had a lot of high picks because of really good trading, and I think that they've done an excellent job in terms of the role of the GM and what they've done with drafting and improving that talent and being a good young team. And for me, I'm almost more excited for the Vikings than I am for the Bengals because they are on the upward curve, whereas the Bengals, there's just that little hint with all the free agents and everything else that maybe they've missed their opportunity now. There are quite a few people that agreed with me on Twitter. Let's just have a look. Panthers UK said the Vikings. Vikings UK obviously said Vikings baby. Cal said, I'd say the Vikings based on the team, but they're back indoors next season. This current team is ideal for a bitter cold slugfest. Yes, Cal. Well said. Stewart says, got to be the Viking. The future's looking bright in Minnesota. Thomas Vikings, a young team, coached well, draft well. Well, we may as well just read that tweet and given up on it. Uh, Adam says, Minnesota by far, young quarterback, young group of talent around Bridgewater. Then Bengals, Washington and Houston easily last. Yeah, yeah. That's his feelings on it. I'll ask your feelings on it after we've got through Washington as well. Should we talk about that late game? I don't think we need to bother. No, 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 we definitely do. <laughs> uh, I, my most popular tweet of the night by some distance, and there was a great moment in this game last night where Aaron Rodgers completed on a third and long, and I think it was a Devontae Adams catch as well, who obviously, I mean, he had his best game of the season before annoyingly going down with injury in this game. He was the absolute off-season hero. He had a great game today, and there was a, a third and long completion where Aaron Rodgers completed it and just turned around and looked at the sideline and had the biggest smile on his face I have seen in a long long time this supposedly terrible uh, Green Bay offense went out and scored on five consecutive drives field goal touchdown 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 as they beat the uh, Washington team 35 to 18 after a poor start two touchdowns Eddie Lacy and James Starks both ran for one the Packers came from behind to win the NFC wildcard game Rodgers opened one for eight and Green Bay's first four drives ended punt safety 
punt, punt. And on that safety, the uh, left tackle who they brought in, J.C. Tretter, I was looking at it, I thought Josh Ditton did a good job against Everson Griffin last week, and I was thinking to myself, oh, why have they changed that? Tretter looks an absolute shocker here. When they got into their groove, Sitton was a much better run blocker. They got a lot of success on that left-hand side of the line. And you just give Rodgers a little bit of extra time in the pocket and a little bit of separation, and suddenly they started firing, and it's great to see Green Bay back. Really? I really yeah, enjoyed this good game. Man, good I really I did I really enjoyed this performance. Now there are issues for the other team in this game. Much like Houston, I think they came out of a bad division and this is a this was a game too much for them. The biggest thing they need to do this offseason is load up on defense. That secondary is not good enough. Even with our buddy D'Angelo Hall in it. Yeah. Uh, who who is who was terrible. <laughs> um there there is that. Even so, and it's kind of this thing that I said it a few weeks ago when it's had the way people react so vehemently to one situation is that, yes, okay, the, uh, the Washington secondary was not good at the weekend. But that doesn't mean that you're going to go out and score on five consecutive drives. And very few offences, even when faced with a bad defence, would go out and score in that fashion, mm. particularly in a playoff game. So I think it was a balance. I think uh, Green Bay looked very much back, but... Let's not forget that they did that against the Cowboys, very much with the run game, but we all thought, okay, this is Green Bay, this is them clicking, they're going to go, and then they fell away. And now they've got to go to Arizona, where they got their asses handed to them on the plate quite severely by this team just a couple of weeks ago. So let's not say that Green Bay are, you know, going to go on and win the Super Bowl, but this was encouraging. And I think it shows that, and you said at the top of the show, that the game in Arizona will be much tighter than that one that blowout that, that abomination that obliteration that green bay <laughs> took um it, it it was amazing to see uh, aaron rodgers get back into his groove uh, simon clancy on uh, five live uh simon clancy of this parish uh, said on, <laughs> said on five live that uh, if aaron of that before uh, green bay got back into it if aaron rodgers was a college quarterback he would be saying in the off season that he needs to go away and sort out his mechanics because he was uh, not setting himself right for throwing. Uh, some of the throws were, were slightly weak. And I think that's because he was rushed. We saw, like you say, with JC Tretter and uh, Josh Sisson, well, as soon as he had more more time, everything else started to return. And then that trust in his receivers. James Jones had an excellent game. Richard Rodgers was, was pretty good as well. Randall Cobb started to being, was starting to get used as well. J- Jared Abradaris, uh, also came into, <laughs> Abradaris. A- Abracadabra. Him as well. He came in, <laughs> he came into the game. The rushing game. James Starks, Eddie Lacey looked good. And then on defense, that defense, which actually has been really good anyway, started to make some big plays. The only issue, and I think it's right now that we move on to the Washington Football Club, is and the Packers have notorious problems with tight ends. Luckily, the Arizona Cardinals don't really have a pass-catching tight end. But Jordan Reed was absolutely outstanding in this game. And he is, him and Kirk Cousins are the bright sparks uh, looking into 2016-17 for the Washington Football Club. Clay Matthews had a really good game. He did have a really good game. One really, really important sack, uh, which completely halted um, Washington's uh, momentum, uh, Kirk Cousins' momentum, a lot of pressure as well. He was decent in in, um, rush defence too. Green Bay's defence is not under question here. I'm loving that defence. 
finally the offense has started to click. Right, we'll talk more about that team going into next week. I genuinely yeah, yeah, thought yeah. I we wouldn't have enough content to fill an hour this week, and we've gone over yet again, as we always seem to. We need to talk about Washington going into next season. A couple of people got in touch with us on Twitter. Gerard says, has to say, Washington, now Cousins has a year under him. They know what they're working with. Patch says, I'd pick Washington, who ex- accomplished more than I expected this season, and have a good foundation to build on. I think it's difficult to pick Washington as the brightest spark from this group here. Let's not forget that with that loss at the weekend, they ended the season with nine wins, none of them over a team who finished the season with a winning record. Yeah, that's kind of telling, isn't it? Um, what they do have is a, a quarterback that uh, Gruden now trusts. Uh, actually, we saw some rather poignant scenes of RG3 saying goodbye to everyone at the end of the season. Uh, saying goodbye to everyone, he will be, um, I presume, released uh, at the end of this season or in, in the next coming months. But Kirk Cousins, who will hit free agency potentially, they will re-sign him. And L- let's let's just get on to what uh, just just talking Washington. Let's start on the defense before we get because that offense. I think we can all agree. Sean McVay did a good job this year. Jay Gruden's done a good job. Kirk Cousins. We talked. We lamented. We gave him all the love last week. We don't need to necessarily keep doing that. And as I said, I loved their offensive scheming this year. I love the routes they run. I love what J- Jordan Reed does. And I've I've had a lot of love for Jordan Reed for a number of seasons now since he came into the league. His concussions were an issue. Hopefully that looks like that's cleared up. But. They didn't be a winning, winning team in large part because their defense was below mediocre. They finished 21st in uh, overall metrics, 17th in po- points allowed, 28th in yards allowed, relied on veterans like D'Angelo Hall, Deshaun Goldson and Will Blackman, made them one of the worst offensive backfields in the league. Plus, the pass rush isn't particularly special despite the presence of uh, Ryan Kerrigan and the very promising rookie Preston Smith, who had a couple of good plays early on in the game this week. With Jason Hatcher contemplating retirement, I, Scott McLuhan is one of the reasons why I do love the the Washington's team going forward. And if you're not familiar with Scott McLuhan as the GM there, let me just refer you to three consecutive NFC Championship games for the 49ers. The man behind their drafting, not the GM, but the player personnel guy, was Scott McLuhan. He went out and he found the likes of Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman and these guys who they picked up who did a phenomenal job and got them to that point. Then the next team to have a huge amount of success from that NFC West and are still doing it now, the Seattle Seahawks. He went there as a player personnel guy behind the GM and was part of the team that drafted Richard Sherman and Tan Cancer and all those Legion of Boom guys and all those really athletic linebackers they've got there and Russell Wilson and put that team together. I really trust that he is the guy to rebuild Washington's team. Their line looked much better, particularly as the season went on. That's a place they've had issues. If McLuhan can get cousin's contract done a franchise tagging him is dangerous because you're talking about giving a guy who probably should be on like 13 14 million a season 20 plus million dollars on a franchise tag you know what you, what he's on at the moment go on just over seven hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. <laughs> i i should think it, he could probably get 10 times that it's because he's an eight million no i think he'll get i'll think he'll get 20 times that i think he'll get 13 14 million a year wow. and that's around the region he should be but and, and actually you know what kirk cousins if I look at the real game changers in the league, I don't think he's in that category. I'm not going to say he's going to turn into a top 10 quarterback, but if I look at the mid-range guys, the people in the range of Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, Jay Cutler's um, uh, doing, uh, doing a quarterback motion isn't going to help me remember anyone's Matt name. Ryan. Uh, no, I think Matt Ryan might be just above this uh, Have, above have this we not area. seen a drop-off from Matt, Matt Ryan Matt to Stafford, bring him I think that? Fitzpatrick this season, is, his numbers are very comparative to Fitzpatrick's this season, but Fitzpatrick put up his best season of his entire career mm. and is in his 30s. Kirk Cousins did that, and it's his first season as a starter. So there's lots to build on, but 
I'd put him in that mid-range, but at the very top end of that mid-range. So, so it, we're talking maybe eight, nine, ten. I mean, Matt Ryan this season is comparable, but I think Matt Ryan has the potential to be a top ten guy and a difference maker. He just didn't do it this year. Sure. But I think they have real potential there in Washington if they build on the defence, and I think we could see a very good team coming into London next year. Yeah, and it's exciting. And it is exciting. I think they'll draft well, as you said, with uh, uh, with the fellow coming in or who's, who's Scott, coming Scott McLaughlin Scott McLaughlin <laughs> okay because it's definitely not right this is the spelling yeah, oh it's the guy Scott McLaughlin M-C-M small c capital C L-O-U-G-H-A-M oh that's McLaughlin for anyone that knows apparently it's McLuhan McLuhan get out of it he's Look got a that. really blotchy face it does have a blotchy face. <laughs> That's because he was an alcoholic for like 10 years. Uh, I was going to say, you reminded me of your best man, but... Uh, <laughs> Steve does have a, have a blotchy face. He does have a blotchy face, but he's not an alcoholic. No, he's not. Scott McLuhan is a proper double uh, A attending, alcoholic anonymous alcoholic. That's why he lost his job in both San Francisco and Seattle. We talked about this last off-season. But he's, re- he's rehabilitating himself. Yep, and well he's done, do- and Scott. Yeah, exactly. We're all for that. We are, we are all for second and third chances Woo! on the Gridiron show. Uh, I think that pretty much brings us to a wrap. Just very quickly with you, I think we've given our opinions throughout. Who do you pick as your team of the wildcard losers who should be most excited about their future? I, I will go... V- Vikings. You hate saying that, don't you? I think we'll go with the Bengals. The, be- the Bengals probably have the best chance to succeed next season, which technically I is think, the question I asked on Twitter. I think points win championships. That's not the phrase. But <laughs> <laughs> I, they've got a better offense. I like their f- offense more. I like, but their defense is great. They need to keep this. I'm going to go Bengals because I can't say the Vikings. I said the Vikings earlier. I've backtracked. Beep, beep, beep. Uh, yeah, I'm going with Bengals. How uh, about you? I'm taking the Vikings, and the Texans are the least so, but there's still stuff to be positive about that. Okay. So, I think that brings us to a close. Tweet us at Gridiron on Twitter. There will be Very a show quickly. later this week previewing the weekend's games. Yes. Now sorry. that we've done the teams that lost, of the teams that won... Who are very you know? I don't want to go in too much detail. Who do you think's got the best chance? We're doing a whole podcast on this later. Well, this week. let's tease it. Chiefs. Hey, like it. Me too. Uh, Sherry's going to hate that. Uh, so get in touch with us at Gridiron on Twitter, gridiron-magazine.com, and we will tweet out the link to our Super Bowl party. We've got a meeting there tomorrow morning. After that, there'll be all sorts of Twitter action at Gridiron, so keep following us there. We love everything that you do. Every time you get in touch with us, thank you for all of that. And there is genuinely only one way that we can end the show this week. So uh, as an ode to a man from not far from where we both live, from Brixton, who absolutely changed the face of music single-handedly, and a proper legend that we're absolutely devastated to lose today the mighty mighty David Bowie Starman love you bye didn't know what time it was the lights were low oh oh I leaned back on my radio was laying down some rock and roll at a solar set. Then the loud sound it seemed to fight. Came back like a slow voice on a wave of fight. That one no DJ, that was crazy, caused me to ask. There's a star.